Hi there, thanks for joining us today. So today we start a whole new series of messages from the book of Acts, where we see the uh, kingdom rule of God breaking into this world, uh, revolutionizing people's lives and even whole communities. And it's what we long to see happening in our own day, isn't it? And of course it is happening. You know, every person who turns to Jesus Christ and confesses him as Lord uh, enters into his kingdom and is changed forever. It's just that we long to see that happening in greater measure, don't we? Uh, but, you know, one example of that, that I often talk about is when our church was meeting upstairs in the Portsmouth Middle School Library. And I remember it was pretty uncomfortable. It was about 50 of us kind of squeezed in there. Uh, I was always surprised if a visitor turned up. Uh, actually, even more surprised if they came back. Uh, but on this particular Sunday, we did have someone come visit us. And I'll never forget it because uh, as he stood there in the doorway, it's like he blocked out all the light. Uh, he was this huge man, kind of covered in tattoos, uh, looked pretty sinister. You could almost hear the children, you know, give this sharp intake of breath, you know. And, uh, and he'd been invited by one of our members uh, called Eric. Eric uh, was an American Airlines pilot. Eric was a, a quiet, shy guy, you know. You'd never in a million years uh, have imagined him associating with this man whose name was Bob. Uh, but Eric had bumped into him a few days before and recognized him uh, from his school years and initiated a conversation with him, asked him if he wanted to get a beer sometime, which I thought was pretty bold of him. Um, now, I don't know when Bob told him that he had a brain tumour, but Eric's response was to invite him to church. And so here he was on that Sunday. He sat there in the back row as we worshipped. And it was on that Sunday I was preaching from the book of Acts. In fact, I was preaching from Acts 19, and that's where we read about this great crowd in Ephesus repenting of their witchcraft and idolatry and how they brought their magic scrolls and books and artifacts into the city square, made a great big bonfire. Right? It caused a riot. It was like, a, you know, there was a revolution in that city. And so having told the story and kind of feeling rather bold myself, I said to the people there, if there are things that you want to repent of and renounce, you know, anything that might hinder you from following Jesus and making him your Lord, then next week, during the worship, we're going to have a great big uh, trash can right in the middle of the floor. And you can come and you can bring, you know, any books or CDs, drugs, paraphernalia, whatever it is, and you can put it all in the trash. Well, the next week, you know, I don't really know what I was expecting, uh, but Bob came back and he brought with him this great big uh, rucksack full of stuff. And he sat right there in the front row. Apparently he'd been into uh, witchcraft and the occult and drugs and, you know, pretty big time. And so we started the worship and um, I invited people to come forward as we were all singing, Jesus is Lord. And one or two people came, put a couple of little things into the trash, maybe a CD or a, a letter from a past relationship. And, and then Bob came, brought his great big rucksack, started putting stuff in there, filling up the trash can. And we're all trying hard not to look, you know, just kind of trying to pretend to worship, you know, Jesus is Lord. And I had no idea what he put into the trash. I know we needed two trash cans. Um, and then when everyone had gone, 
we just throw it all into the school dumpster. Uh, you know, the one with the drug-free zone sticker on. And it was either that Sunday, or it might have been the one after, that we then prayed for Bob, for his brain tumour. And it was pretty evident that something quite amazing had happened to him because his whole uh, countenance had changed. It was different. Eric had been witnessing to him about faith in Jesus. And it seems Bob had responded and he'd surrendered everything to Jesus, put his whole life into his hands. And so he said to us, you know, thank you for praying for me. But I want you to know, what, you know, whatever happens to me now, I know where I'm going. And I have a real peace about it. And you know what he did? He, I mean, he, this man was full of joy. Sadly, sometime later, Bob died. But he died with hope in Jesus. Right In that short time, because he'd heard the gospel, responded to Jesus and entered his kingdom, his life had changed forever. And that's really what the book of Acts is all about. It's about the risen Jesus continuing his work on earth through his church, right? That's what we see at the beginning of the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by Luke, who was a uh, leader in the early church. He was also a doctor, and he had set out to um, uh, record an accurate account of all the things that had happened in fulfillment to the Old Testament prophecies. And he was writing this account for a man called Theophilus and in fact he wrote it down in two volumes. The first we know as the Gospel of Luke and the second volume is the book of Acts uh, which he starts by uh, writing this. He says there in Acts 1 verse 1 it says in my former book Theophilus I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So the implication there is that if the Gospel of Luke was about the work that Jesus began to do while he was on earth, then the book of Acts was about the work that Jesus would continue to do, right? That having ascended to heaven, to the right hand of the Father, uh, the risen, enthroned Lord Jesus Christ would continue his work on earth, right? Well, what we read in here is not uh, the Acts of the Apostles or even the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is how some people refer to this book. No, these are the Acts of the risen, enthroned Jesus who had promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the book of Acts is about Jesus doing just that, extending his rule and reign on earth through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see next week. It's about his kingdom invading the earth. In fact, I think the best way of understanding what the book of Acts is about is to see it through this kind of lens of the kingdom of God. And that seems to be Luke's intention here. Because in verse 3 of this chapter, chapter 1, he records that uh, during the 40 days between the resurrection and his ascension, Jesus appeared to his disciples. Uh, but it wasn't just to prove that he was alive. It says there in, in verse 3 that he appeared to them uh, over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. You see, that's what he was wanting to focus them on. It was the kingdom of God. And then in the very uh, last chapter 
of Acts in chapter 28, Luke's account ends there with the Apostle Paul, who's uh, he's under house arrest, and it says he's proclaiming the kingdom of God to all who would listen. Right? Those are the two bookends, you see. It's the kingdom of God that provides the framework for us understanding the book of Acts. So, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he talked to his disciples about the kingdom. And he tells them to expect the Holy Spirit to come imminently, as promised in the Old Testament, which uh, they would have associated with uh, prophecies about God coming in the last day to bless and to restore his people. And so in verse 6, they ask him this question. They say, Lord, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Their question suggests they were still looking for Jesus to come and take up power and establish a national and political kingdom on earth. Even though they you know, spent 40 days with him telling them about a kingdom that was so much more than that. And I think you know, we can still see uh, that same kind of thinking today, can't we? Um, where I, I, you know, I think there's a big danger of Christians putting their hope in a political solution to advance God's kingdom in America. Uh, but I'll come back to that in just a minute. First of all, we need to understand what is the kingdom of God, all right? What is the kingdom of God? Well, first and foremost, it is describing God's uh, sovereign rule and reign as the king of the universe. So Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. But the Old Testament also looked forward to a day when God would establish his throne on earth. You know, when God would come and save his people and uh, deliver them from their enemies and restore righteousness and peace. In fact, Isaiah prophesied about it. Uh, let me just read here from Isaiah 9, verse 6. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Right? That's the promise we see in the Old Testament. A kingdom is coming. A king will come and establish righteousness and peace in the earth. So, you can imagine the excitement, can't you, when Jesus came on the scene and he announced, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And then we see him healing people of their diseases, uh, exercising authority over demons, setting people free and telling them the kingdom of God has come to you. You see, Jesus embodied the kingdom because he was the king. And at first, many of the Jewish people thought so as well, uh, you know, because of the miracles that he was doing. In fact, on one occasion, after the miraculous feeding of 5,000 people, we're told that the crowd intended on forcing his hand, making him king, right? They were hoping that at any time he would uh, uh, kind of use his power to overthrow their enemies, the Romans, and, and give them justice, make them uh, chief among the nations, again. But time and time again, Jesus behaved in ways that just did not fit their preconceptions about this promised Messiah King. 
what he did was revolutionary. It just wasn't the kind of revolution that the people were looking for, right? It was a, it was a revolution of love, uh, not violence. Instead of uh, taking up power to set Israel free from their Roman oppressors, Jesus demonstrated the power of forgiveness and grace. He used his power to set people free from their bondage to Satan, sin, and death. And he didn't just uh, minister to the good uh, law-abiding Jews. He befriended and ministered to all kinds of people, all the wrong people, right? Including the, the Roman collaborators, the tax collectors, or, or despised Samaritans or Canaanites, you know? He showed mercy to people that they would normally have shunned. Uh, he cared for the poor and the vulnerable and the oppressed. Uh, he was inclusive of women and children. He even taught that they should love their enemies. You know, in Jewish thought, the kingdom of God was always pictured in terms of Israel. But God said, sorry, Jesus said, God so loved the world, right? They wanted him to be king, to take up power and rule, but Jesus said, no, he'd come as a servant to lay down his life for many, to redeem. And what's more, he said, you know, that anyone who would want to enter his kingdom would need to do the same thing. You know, they would need to uh, deny themselves. Whoever wants to find their life would need to lose it, he said. Anyone who would be great would need to become the servant of all, because it's the first who will be last. And it's the meek who will inherit the earth. Well, this was not what the people were expecting at all, right? And it's why the kingdom of God is far more radical and revolutionary than humankind would ever want because it turns, you see, everything upside down. Or rather, we might see it as the right way up, right? It's like the light invading the darkness and eventually replacing it. And that's why anyone who is following Jesus and who has entered into his kingdom cannot give their allegiance to anything or anyone else because they've surrendered their lives to the King of Kings. And it means, you know, that um, as citizens and, and as agents of his kingdom, the church finds itself in a strange position, um, politically speaking. So often, you know, issues to do with family life and abortion and so on are identified with the more kind of conservative right-wing politics. Whereas a passion to seek justice for the oppressed and a, a society that cares for the poor is often associated with more left-wing politics. But as Christians, we cannot be pigeonholed because, you see, both are aspects of God's kingdom. And so while we should certainly vote according to our conscience, we should also respect others who may vote differently. And we certainly shouldn't chastise them. Because if we do, we're just showing that our hope is in a human government rather than the kingdom of God. Right? Listen, Jesus isn't a Republican. Neither is he a Democrat or even a Libertarian. Right? He doesn't side with any political party. He is the king. Right? Gov governments, they're going to come and go. His government is forever. So you might vote Republican or you might vote Democrat or for some other party. But we should not be taking on that identity ourselves. 
we are not the lackey of any political party. Our allegiance is to Jesus alone, right? The one who is enthroned in the heavens, who has been given all power and authority, and who rules over human governments. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and our hope is in Jesus our King. So we should certainly exercise our right to vote and be thankful that we live in a country you know, where we can do so. We should certainly pray for whoever is in government because we recognize that um, all human governments are from God and they serve him, right, whether they acknowledge it or not. And we should also get behind Christians who feel called to engage in politics, who uh, want to represent God uh, in the kind of political domain and, and, and seek his kingdom there. But we should not put our hope in politics or in politicians as if they are the answer to the ills of society. They do not have the power to change the human heart. So while you may be uh, wrestling with the question of who to vote for right now, perhaps an even more important question to ask is, who are you discipling right now? Who are you witnessing to concerning the kingdom? Who are you praying for that they might come to know Jesus and like Bob might enter into his kingdom? Because you see, that is what Jesus has called us to. That's what will expand his kingdom and change this world. When the disciples asked Jesus, they said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus didn't rebuke them. He, he understood they only saw uh, a part of the picture. Um, he just told them it wasn't for them to know the timing. That's my father's business, he said. Uh, but you, you will be my witnesses. And not just to Israel, not just to your own people, your own kind, but throughout the world. Right? Those were his last words before he ascended to heaven. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses, he says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He left them with a mission. It's still our mission. In Matthew's account, uh, before Jesus uh, ascended to heaven, Jesus said there, he said, all authority in heaven on earth and earth has been given to me. Right? He had uh, defeated the powers of darkness through his life, death, and resurrection. And yet, we don't see everything totally under his authority yet, do we? We still see the world uh, in the grip of these satanic powers. And yet, his death and resurrection constituted a decisive victory, guaranteeing the final outcome and the, and the ultimate triumph of God's kingdom. And so one day, at a time set by his father, Jesus is going to return. And on that day, all of our spiritual enemies, you know, Satan, sin and death, are going to finally be destroyed, right? God's kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness and peace and blessing will then fill the earth, right? We will all be healed and made whole under the rule of King Jesus and we will reign with him forever. But until that time, there is a work to be done. There are lives to be reclaimed from the kingdom of darkness. All authority in heaven and on earth and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore, go. Go. Implement my authority by making disciples of all nations. 
And you see, we do that by being witnesses to his kingdom, by proclaiming the gospel of his kingdom, praying for the advancement of his kingdom, uh, demonstrating the works of his kingdom, healing the sick, caring for the poor and the oppressed, um, living according to the values of his kingdom, being salt and light in the world. That is what we see in the book of Acts. And it wasn't just the acts of those first apostles. They're all dead now. But Jesus is still very much alive, right? The king is on his throne and he's continuing his work on earth through his church, through people like Eric and like you and I. It's why we exist as a church until Jesus returns. But if we're going to truly do the works of Jesus and turn the world upside down, right, then we need his power. And that's what Jesus promised his disciples when he told them to expect to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he says, and you will be my witnesses. But more on that next week. Let me just conclude now by um, asking you, have you received Jesus as your king? That means accepting his word. You know, that all have sinned and gone astray. And yet we believe, we choose to trust that Jesus died so that we could be forgiven and enter into his kingdom. And so we repent, which means we turn away from living for ourselves and we turn to Jesus uh, and we surrender our lives to him. Like Bob did in the story I told at the beginning. It's a little bit like um, the knights of old, you know, when they would come to their king and give him their service. And they would kneel before the king, you see, and they, and they would offer up their sword, hilt first. And it was, it was like they were saying, uh, my life is now yours, right? They gave, gave it hilt first, right? My life is in your hands. I give my allegiance now to you alone, right? I'm here, uh, my Lord, to do your bidding. That's how you enter his kingdom. Are you ready to say that today? Then tell Jesus right now. Because he's alive. He hears you. He's near to you. And he will receive you into his kingdom right now. And the next step then is to be baptized in water. That's where you demonstrate that you've surrendered your life to Jesus and that you're now part of his church. So please uh, do get in touch with us if you want to be baptized. But also ask Jesus to fill you with his Holy Spirit because it's his promise to you and it's something that he does because he wants to empower you to be his witness. So do watch next week as we hear an amazing story of uh, someone who Jesus empowered to do his works in a very dark place. But until then, God bless you. Have a great week.